Simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Hello, Baked in Science listeners. Welcome to this episode where we'll be covering preventative maintenance and how this will improve your bottom line. I'm Lynn Carson, CEO, founder of Bakerpedia, the world's largest digital resource that answers all your questions about commercial baking. Bakerpedia.com, shared knowledge, freely available, always. Before we start, I'd like to thank our sponsor, AIB International. Do you want to prepare your team to excel at your next food safety audit? Schedule an in-plant inspection training with AIB International today. AIB's expert team of food safety professionals is prepared to help you get audit ready. Don't forget to mention this podcast when you call 785-537-4750. Call before June 30th, 2018. Um, and you will get 20% off your next implant training. That's easy. Joining us today is Bill Stedman from AIB International. Bill is the manager of quality assurance, GMP North America. Hi, Bill. Hi, how you doing, Lynn? I'm good. Can nice you tell? To meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Can you tell our listeners a little more about yourself and what really makes you passionate about your job? Well, you know, I've been a food safety professional involved with food manufacturing for over 30 years. I really got my start with the U.S. Army. I was uh, I worked for U.S. Army Veterinary Services in regards to food inspection and public health. Wow. Um, after a long, clear, long career in the Army, I then moved uh, to the civilian sector. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I worked for uh, several different manufacturing facilities from bakeries to uh, USDA-type facilities as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I bring my operational experience to the auditing arena right. with the understanding of what my customers are going through on a day-to-day basis yeah. with challenges in their food safety plan. Mm-hmm. And what was your bakery experience in prior to AIB? I was a quality assurance manager for Eli's Cheesecake in Chicago for about 10 years. That means you ate a lot of cheesecake, right? Say again? That means you ate a lot of cheesecake. Well, you know, I don't know if I ate. I sampled a lot. (laughs) That's like my dream job. (laughs) (laughs) So um, having such an extensive background in QA and bakery, how does preventative maintenance for equipment impact a facility's overall food safety level? Well, certainly one of the biggest uh, impacts on food safety level is, you know, if there's a lack of a, a concerted effort for, for preventative maintenance, certainly contamination risk are one of the biggest uh, issues with preventative maintenance, whether it be metal-to-metal contact right. on equipment, uh, improper lubrication, mm-hmm. condensation issues, and then, of course, the overall fabric of the building, structural conditions, the walls, the floors, the doors, seals like that, you know, those types of things where, you know, prevent uh, pest ingress or, 
a rodent or birds ingress into the building. So there's a direct, you know, effect that um, maintenance can have, um, positive or negative, on a facility's food safety uh, readiness. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, how can poorly managed daily equipment maintenance activities impact food safety? Well, as far as it goes, is daily really a lack of a real good, robust pre-operational inspection, not only by maintenance but also you know you got to get the production staff involved in that to make sure that their equipment is operational ready every day when they're going to go into production. And obviously, you're looking for damage or maybe even abuse by operators. Another thing you know that we had issues with is when operators were making unauthorized adjustments to equipment or modifications, temporary right. repairs, that's, you know, and then also, you know, lack of just general good communication between those departments. Right. Those never happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens all the time. It's always a challenge. <laughs> right. Um, so I have a multi-question here. Um, what okay. types of tasks are included in scheduled preventative maintenance activities? And as a engineer how do i prioritize them and how much time should i set aside for pm tasks on my equipment yeah that's a that's a big multi i know question sorry i had so many questions on my mind from the food safety from the food safety standpoint you know you really the maintenance team that they need to do um risk assessment use a risk assessment methodology what task or what equipment, if not properly maintained, are going to be their biggest risk of contamination to the product or the product zone? And, you know, in time, I mean, that's a huge question. Obviously, that depends on the, the manufacturers or the maintenance tasks, the manufacturer's recommended maintenance or the mm-hmm. maintenance tasks that are needed to be accomplished. And, which is key nowadays because so many facilities are running 24-7 or darn near 24-7, is availability of equipment. Without the availability of the equipment, you know, a lot of uh, maintenance tasks uh, do not get done on schedule. Right. You know how sometimes grease get on the food? So my concern is how does preventative maintenance ensure that lubrication practices or other maintenance tasks won't cause food safety issues? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things, one of the misnomers in the industry and in the plant, it's food-grade rated uh, lubrications like an H1, mm-hmm. that it's okay that, you know, it's in the product. Well, well, it's still contamination if it's in the product. That's it's true. It's incidental contact. But one of the things, and it's a very common finding from, you know, from my, when I do audits or our auditors in the field, you know, um, risk with lubrication uh, in the product product is very common. Um and one of the things is that the over-lubrication um, is one of the issues that we find where there's too much lubrication, too much grease put in the bearing. Yeah, but and, how would you uh, know that, right? What is there an easy way to identify if you have over-greased your equipment? Yeah, there's, there's actually these, um, they're called grease meters. There's a little meter that you can install on the nipple hose that goes into on the grease gun. Oh. And that's the, that's the, the absolute best way, especially in high-risk areas where it's near close proximity to the product zone or in the product zone. Right. So those those grease meters are great, and they also make bearing covers as well oh, um, to okay. cover over the bearings. Yeah. And um, and also a requirement in our standards, especially 
bearings or motors that, that go over other product zones, mm-hmm. um, catch pans underneath those motors or uh, increased uh, fittings to prevent any drippage over the product zone. So those are all little things they could do to help uh, mitigate any potential overgrazing issues. Oh, that's that. those are great suggestions. Well, um, Bill, let's end with the top three food safety tips for the bakery engineer in order to succeed in the uh, PM program. What do you have for us? Well, first and foremost, and you got to really start from the beginning, and the beginning is with design standards. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, there's, there's, you might be working in a facility that has equipment that's 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and those design standards, and when I say design standards, that means it's repairability, how, how easy or hard it is to disassemble right. and, and to service, and also for sanitation. How, how easy is it for that uh, piece of equipment to be cleaned and sanitized to prevent microbial, you know, uh, uh, microbial load on there? So got to go with the design standards. Right. They should have established good design standards. What type of material they use, how easy is it to dis- disassemble. The other thing that sometimes goes uh, that doesn't get addressed is scheduling. You know, not maintenance has to schedule their tasks, but they need to work with their production teammates, uh, production and sanitation teams, so that they can all get the equipment when they need to to do their individual tasks. So I think scheduling is is also key, right up there with one of the key points that they should be working towards. Right. Um, yeah, a couple other programs. Um, we kind of call it the Tools and Parts Reconciliation Program. Oh, so I kind of okay. talk. I, my term is maintenance droppings. So maintenance droppings are things that maintenance inadvertently at times leave out on the production floor. Not I've seen so many of those. <laughs> I didn't know you had a name for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there needs to be an accountability um, program for that to make sure that when we're done with our, our maintenance task, mm-hmm. that we police up all the things that we brought out there, all that potential um, poor material risks that are out there. Um, and then to just couple right with that, we talk about at AIB is a post-maintenance uh, cleaning program. So oh, when maintenance yeah. is done with either a, a planned maintenance task or an emergency maintenance task, um, that the area, if it needs to, is cleaned, sanitized, inspected, and returned to you know proper service before production starts. Right. Um, so I think those, those actually four things. Uh, are key to ensure that uh, we maintain a, a, a safe uh, food production environment uh, in regards to maintenance. Those are really gems, Bill. Thanks for sharing them. Sure, no problem. And thanks sure. for coming on to our show today. Today, we have James Lutzby joining us. Hi, James. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm good. James, how long have you been in this field of expertise? I started out in the baking industry in 1982, working for a company called Campbell Taggart. They, since then, have become Earth Grange, which spun off to be Sarah Lee and is now owned by Bimbo. Um, I do my own engineering consulting. I train ship mechanics, do installation of equipment, troubleshoot, mm-hmm. uh, specific problems on the bakeries, uh, EPA consultation, and... Um, Setting up, setting up maintenance departments and anything that has to do with the equipment inside the facility. That's, um, that's today, I believe great. that we're going to concentrate on ovens. Uh-huh. I was just going to ask you about that. 
what do you think in your line of work as a consultant um, for engineering teams, what problems have you seen more frequently in the past few years? comes to um, a lot of the problems that I've been experiencing in the past few years is it has been associated in and around moisture retention of the product, either the product sidewalls, if we're talking on um, bread, uh, the sidewalls being weak, the, the insides being soft, the moisture not being removed from the product. Oh. A, lot of, a lot of that comes from the maintenance on the oven systems. A lot of people immediately jump to burner adjustments and such when they should start at the basics of the process. Um, I'll, I'll consider a 970 or 935 Baker Perkins style oven with direct heat, for instance. Right, so am uh, I am I hearing right that you're saying most bakeries don't put enough training into understanding their ovens? Correct. With the turnover and the um, oh, our new generation, we're losing a lot of expertise on the ovens and the way the combustion system works. Mm -hmm. Therefore, a lot of the basic steps get get overlooked. Can you further explain when you go into a bakery and say we hire you to do a training session with our engineers, what are the you know uh, first few procedures that you'll touch on? Um, we'll take the ninth of the oven. The first thing is I explain how the system works. Just like the combustion system on a car, an oven has to breathe. So first, we have to look at our exhaust blower and airflow in it, make sure the turbine is in good shape, that the stacks are clean, and the damper is in the right position for the baking, that we don't have a negative pressure inside of the structure. Therefore, if we do, it starts off-gassing out of the oven, and we start retaining moisture inside of our product. Because with the airflow, comes reduction in moisture inside the inside the process. Right. A lot Second. of a lot of the yeah. issues that I see, um, I, I don't know if you see the same thing too, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the incomplete um, baking from one side of the oven to the other side. Is is this part of um, is this part of what a a good PM program can address? Yes, a PM program can address this issue. There's a lot of facts, and we call this a lateral heat issue, mm -hmm. that contribute to this problem inside the oven. All the way from how the oven is being loaded, evenly from side to side, to the adjustment of the tri-zone burners in a direct-fired oven, all the way across. There's many different aspects that can contribute to this factor. Great. Do you have any suggestions on how uh, plant engineers can do PMs on their combustion systems? First thing that I always look at when I come into an oven to look at tuning up a combustion system would be the rear exhaust blower to make sure that it is operating properly. Mm -hmm. One, that it's operating in the correct rotation. Two, that it's actually not restricted and not collapsed from a fire or that the damper's been misadjusted. The second step would be to look at the combustion air blower to ensure that the 
inspect for possible buildup on the turbine blades, and it found it should be cleaned. And the burn assemblies and headers should be checked for proper uh, cleanliness as well. Mm-hmm. One the of the third other... thing I check. Sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. The third thing I check is I go to the zero gas regulators, and I'll check the setting on the zero gas regulators with the gas gauge to ensure that they're operating properly. The fourth thing is I'll check for the modulating motors to make sure that all the modulating motors are operating in the correct orientation and they're being controlled by the controller and that the linkages are set properly. Then fifth is I'll look at the colorator systems mm-hmm. and all the trizone sims, sims, uh, adjustments associated with the burners in the oven to adjust my lateral heat. A good rule of thumb when we're looking at the oven is to take a weight of the product before it enters the structure. And after the bake, typically we're looking at an 8% moisture loss of the product at the end of the baking cycle. Okay? Mm-hmm. This will ensure that you're, you're losing enough moisture inside the product. So a lot of this, if you're not achieving this desired result, has to do with your airflow inside the structure. Whether you have a positive pressure inside the oven or a negative pressure inside the oven. Mm-hmm. We're actually looking for a slight negative inside the structure. We have a positive pressure inside the oven. We're not evacuating all that moisture outside the structure. And we're moving that carbon dioxide, alcohol, and bake-off gases, not out the exhaust stack, but out the front and back of the oven as well, and retaining it in the product. Right. Um, other questions, ma'am? Yes. One of the frequent problems that I see that I don't know if PMs are going to address is uh the issue with the set points not meeting the actual so what suggestion you have for teams uh to figure out this problem looking at your ovens and such a lot of the times we we get back into the airflow okay. uh, the combustion system and the dirt that is being brought in with the combustion blower it oh. starts stopping up the, the air gas mixing valves and the venturis and starts cutting down efficiencies of the blowers dramatically, or the burners dramatically. Oh, okay. um, up to, it's not uncommon to, to improve 30% on the oven capacity by cleaning out a system that's been neglected for many years. That's, that's a great advice. What is the margin of error where the set point and the actual need to be... Uh, are we looking at 5 degrees, 10 degrees, 20 degrees difference? We have to remember when we run, there's different, um, different ways of looking at it. This is just, it's not an actual temperature of what your product is seeing, such as if you run, and I will run, for instance, a mold profile, mm-hmm. a multi-occurrence logic evaluator through the oven to determine the actual temperature that your product's seeing. Your set point is not going to match that because you're thermocouples for each of your zone, and we're talking on the old 935s, 970 ovens, mm-hmm. are below the baking chamber. Mm-hmm. So they're not actually seeing where your temperature, your set point is, is set at. Right. Okay? It is not uncommon with an oven is typically zone one is your hardest uh, to maintain your set point on temperature Correct. because you have your cold pans, your thermal mass, coming into the oven, mm-hmm. and everything's cold and being heated up. Mm-hmm. If the ovens are, are tuned up and cleaned and adjusted properly and the burners are working well, 
you shouldn't have that much differential in temperatures between your set point and your actual temperatures. Okay. If you're sitting here out at 450, you should get 450. Right. What is the first indication that the oven's going to fail? That if we're going to have problems? Yep. Uh, not achieving set point temperature, moisture retention of the product. Oh, okay. Weak sidewalls. Yep. Yeah, so would you encourage most plant operators to run thermal profiles on your product frequently to understand this issue? The mode profile is a wonderful tool. Yeah. It needs to be used properly. I would the first thing to do, as I said, is to look at your combustion system, have proper training of your shift engineers and maintenance personnel to ensure that your combustion system is working up to standard. Okay. Make sure that we're performing our bi-weekly oven inspections to make sure that we have our safeties, our strain safeties, all up to OEM specifications. Mm-hmm. Now, this will, go ahead. Yes, this will help prevent any kind of unforeseen issues down the road. Right. Now, you do offer training, and from a baker's perspective, how much resource does that take when you go to a plant and you train your team? How, how much time do they need to set aside, and usually who do you need to be in the training? Of course, it depends upon how large a, a group, how big a facility that you have. That's true. Um, if I'm going to tune up an oven and do training while I'm, while I'm performing this task, it typically requires three days okay. minimum to do the training and to tune up the oven while I'm doing it. I do training on all shifts with the shift engineers in tow. I prefer to do the training no more than two or three people at a time. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So you do training for all shifts. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And um, if our listeners have any more questions uh, and they want some kind of implant training, can they contact you? Where where can they contact you? Well, please do. My uh, email or my webpage is JWL Services LLC. Um, my phone number is 417-840-4029. And I'll be happy to set up an appointment and talk to them on an individual basis. All right. Thank you, James. This episode is also sponsored by the Middleby Bakery Group. Have you seen their newly developed Bakery Innovation Center? If not, please visit middlebybakerygroup.com today to learn more and how you can use this awesome facility. Thank you for listening to me today. Here's wishing you all the success in creating your PM program. Till the next time, my podcast nation. Mm-hmm.